We now move to chapter 3 which essentially deals with karma yoga or the philosophy of selfless service. Arjuna says to Krishna, Krishna, I am totally confused. On the one hand you are asking me to act, to get up and fight. At the same time, you are also asking me to look inside, develop discrimination and become wise. How can I do both? If I have to act, I can't be spending time looking inside. On the other hand, if I start looking inside, I'm sure I would get lost there. In which case, how would I be able to act? How would I be able to fight as you're asking me to do? Therefore, please tell me clearly, which of these two paths is better and where exactly do they lead? Krishna smiles and replies, Arjuna, this is what they call a good question. Let me to start with make two things very clear. One, the two paths as you call them are called respectively the path of action or karma yoga and the path of wisdom or sankhya yoga. Two, both these lead to the same goal namely eternal bliss and freedom from rebirth. You are possibly wondering how that could be possible since these two paths seem to be so very different. That is what I shall now explain. Let me start with the so-called path of action. When I ask you to follow the path of action, it does not mean that I am asking you to become a workaholic, a go-getter and things like that. I mean something very different. First and foremost, a person dedicated to the path of action accepts the role destiny has carved out for him and does his best in that role. Now take your own case. You are born a soldier, a warrior. The duty of a soldier is to fight for dharma. That is what you must do. And not run away talking like a sannyasi as you were in fact trying to do a short while ago. Next, you must plunge into action with perfect calmness. You must always be cool and unperturbed. In other words, you must be the very embodiment of equanimity. Further, the action that you perform must be done as a sacred duty. Action becomes sacred only when duty is performed for duty's sake and not for personal gains and ends. You should never calculate about success and failure or dream about the benefits that would come to you if you were to act in a particular way. If it is destined that you should fail in whatever it is that you are trying to do, accept that outcome calmly as the will of God. Let us say there is a person who is very sick and that a doctor is treating the patient. The doctor cannot say this fellow is going to die anyway, so why bother? He must do his very best and leave the rest to God. And whatever happens, 
he should calmly accept that as the will of god with god's grace the patient may even pull through for your information this has happened any number of times by the way arjuna don't ever get the idea that god causes failure things may not exactly happen the way you want things to happen but that does not mean that the effort is a failure you see god always knows what is best and if he has postponed what you regard as success it is with good reason in the meanwhile do not jump to the conclusion that there has been a failure arjuna two important points must be noted concerning action the first is that no one can be perfectly still and stay away from action you talked of the wise as if they did not engage in action this is not correct don't the wise eat walk bathe etc are these not actions the second point is that there is action everywhere in the universe in fact a static universe where nothing ever happens is impossible up there in the heavens the sun shines the planets move about and so on all this is divinely ordained action if you examine carefully there are generally two aspects to action that of receiving and that of giving in fact in all cases except that of man the giving is much more than the receiving just consider the example of the tree and examine how much it receives and how much it gives this one example ought to convince you of the truth of my statement the tree is really a fine example because in the end it gives its entire self up arjuna the key principle on which the universe functions is sacrifice that one word says it all that is why at the time of creation god told man you can prosper only if you sacrifice people imagine that sacrifice means giving up something valuable or giving away something precious something that you would very much like to keep for yourself this is a very limited interpretation of the word sacrifice i use that word in a larger sense i would in fact prefer to use the word offering in place of the word sacrifice here i should caution you about what happens when the key principle is misunderstood and followed in a mistaken fashion for example many people think that they should give charity so that they can go to heaven this is wrong when charity is given this way the giver of the charity starts feeling he is superior to the one receiving giving should not at all be done that way one must give as a loving offering to a brother who also is a child of god in other words 
The spirit must be one of sharing and caring and not of condescension and without any expectations of any kind from anybody. The people who give charity and food to beggars with the idea of booking a seat in heaven are really trying to make a business deal. God is so kind that he may even reserve a seat in heaven for such people. But Arjuna, God should not be trivialized like this by asking him for trinkets. You may be a businessman, but God is not. Remember that. Well, how then should one relate to God? That is your unstated question, is it not? The answer is simple. Look upon God as your father, mother, guru and even friend. Are you surprised? You should not be because God is the only true friend that you can have. All others would make themselves scarce when you need assistance and help most. God is not like that. On the contrary, it is in those dire moments that He would be closest to you. Also, do whatever you are doing for God's pleasure. For example, right now I am asking you to fight. When you start fighting, say, God, I offer this duty I am doing as a soldier to you. Please accept it as my loving offering to you. I want nothing in return but your grace and love. Everyone can make an offering to God in this manner, including a cobbler. Are you wondering how the cobbler ought to pray? Simple. He should just say, Lord, in your cosmic drama, you have given me this particular role. My prayer to you is that A. I do my job to the best of my ability and B. My slippers bring comfort and satisfaction to the buyer, who is none other than you in disguise. When my customer is satisfied, it means that you are satisfied. So you see how perfection combined with selflessness can readily sanctify action. Every act without exception, including the smallest, can be sanctified in this manner. Take food. You are able to eat on account of God's grace and not because of your salary. But for God's grace, you would be jobless and hungry. Having received food as divine grace, how do you express your gratitude to God? By sharing your food with someone else. Give some food first to a starving soul, see him happy and then eat that would fill you also with happiness. Arjuna, it is a sin to eat without first sharing your food with some other person. Suppose no one is available, no problem. Share it with some birds or even ants. In any case, you can always offer the food first to God. In fact, this is a must, I would say. When you so offer, say a simple prayer, O God, 
who is in me and taking care of me all the time in a thousand different ways that I am not even aware of. I offer this food to you, my indweller. Please accept. No, Arjuna, this is not a gimmick. It is an attitude of mind that reflects the virtues of the heart. See God everywhere and try to please Him with all the actions that you perform. God does not expect anything special from you. He would be extremely happy if you transform your duty into devotion and work into worship by following my simple formula. Arjuna says, Krishna, all this is fine. But what has it got to do with the path of action and the path of wisdom that you were telling me about? Krishna replies, Arjuna, that precisely is what I am coming to now. When your mind is full of thoughts of God and your heart is immersed in God, you would automatically become wise. Yat bhavam tat bhavati. As you feel, so you become. Think of God, who is the embodiment of knowledge all the time, and you automatically become wise yourself. That's all. Thus, for the man on the path of action, the three steps are work, worship, wisdom. Let me now tell you something about the man who is following the path of wisdom. Such a man is inward looking. That is to say, for him, the world is essentially inside. What does this man find inside? He sees God seated in his heart. He sees the heart as the symbol of perfection and absolute purity. He sees God seething with love. Becoming absorbed in that love, he gets charged with it. So charged is he with love that when he starts looking out into the world, he sees only love everywhere. To him, nothing outside is bad, though ordinary mortals might see some things as good and others as bad. This man is above all such duality. The inward-looking man is one of wisdom. He might seem a strange person to ordinary people, but he is neither strange nor mad. He is his true self and in his natural state, the state of bliss. If at all he is mad, he is mad about God. But then, Arjuna, tell me, who in this world is not mad? Some are mad about money, some about power, some about position, and so on. Compared to all these types of madness, is not being mad about God much better? The wise are always in a state of bliss. At times, they might appear to be in a trance. At times, they would be happily singing to themselves or rather to the God within. And at times, they would be just dancing with joy. Obviously, such people are very rare, about one in a billion or so. But believe me, they do exist. Arjuna says, Krishna, 
the way you describe. These wise men, as you call them, appear to live in their own world and have nothing whatsoever to do with the world we ordinary mortals live in. Is that true? Krishna smiles and replies, Well, Arjuna, really speaking, the wise do not have duties to perform in the sense you have. You have to perform duty in order to attain fulfillment. This they achieve in an entirely different way. Yet, in their own way, the wise do act and serve in this world. You want to know why? Let me explain. By their very nature, the wise radiate peace. They have a captivating aura of supreme calm about them. They are ever smiling. Troubled souls therefore go to such people to have their darshan, and when they do so, they feel at peace themselves, at least for a while. Is not applying the balm of Shanti a service? How many people are there in this troubled world who can render such service? Shining with the effulgence of love, speaking softly, gently and soothingly is also service. In fact, extremely valuable service. Thus, the wise act as lighthouses in a stormy world. Arjuna, just look at me. I am the lord and master of the three worlds. Verily, I have no duties to perform. And yet, donning a human form, I am engaged in service to humanity all the time. Don't you see? Right now, I am driving your chariot. Is this really my job? Why do I serve when I really don't have to. To set an example, Arjuna, to set an example. My life is my message. And my policy is to love all and serve all. Got it? Supposing I did not do what I am doing. Do you know what would happen? People would start saying, Look, God in human form is not bothered about action. Maybe that is what God wants of us too. Imagine what would happen to the world if people start abandoning their duties. It is to prevent this disaster that I perform duties, though in reality I have none to perform. Inaction is bad and laziness is rust and dust. It is to teach that lesson that I always keep myself busy doing something or the other. Of course, always for the benefit of others. I never do anything that would bring advantage to me personally. Selfless love is my guiding principle every second of my life. So Arjuna, I hope after all this lengthy explanation, you have understood that the paths of action and of wisdom are not two disjointed options, just that they represent two different starting points for reaching the same goal. Some start from action and then progress to wisdom, while others attain wisdom 
and then go into action. That is all. Either way, the circle is complete. You will notice, of course, that many things are common to the ideal followers of the two paths. They both are totally free from ego. The man following the path of action sees God as different from himself. At least to start with, he lives entirely for God and sacrifices his ego so that he may win the love of God. The man on the path of wisdom identifies himself totally with God. And since ego has no place in God, he automatically becomes devoid of ego. So both types of devotees of the Lord get rid of ego, each in his own style. Once ego is got rid of, one becomes one with God. And that, if you remember, is the goal to be attained. So you see, the important thing is to get rid of ego. And as I just told you, it can be done by two different methods. Hence, both paths lead to the same goal. However, if you ask me which of these two paths is better suited to you, I would unhesitatingly pick the path of action or karma yoga as it is called. In fact, karma yoga is the preferred choice for 99.99999% of humanity. Arjuna silently digests all this and then slowly asks, Krishna, what you say is very clear, no doubt. But there is one thing I still do not understand. Why is it that people are driven to sin even though they know it is wrong? What is amazing is that sometimes people seem to commit sin even against their will. It seems that there is some stronger force. What is that? Krishna replies, The short answer to your question is that the force you are talking about is the force exerted by internal enemies. Take for example, a man addicted to drinking. To start with, he did not know the taste of alcohol. One fine day, the enemy called desire tempted this man saying, Listen, you don't know what you are missing. Give this a try. The man falls for this evil advice and soon finds that he is hooked. Later, he realizes that his health is being ruined and that death would soon catch up with him. But still, he is not able to give up drinking. These internal enemies are very powerful and that is why they should not be given even a toe hold in the first place. Arjuna, desire is man's mortal enemy. It is like a raging fire, a huge unstoppable conflagration. Desire sneaks in by devious means and later hides in the senses and the mind. Once it gets in, it can smother even wisdom. That is how even very wise men have been dragged to ruin.
You must therefore slay this evil dragon called desire well before it gets hold of you. You might think that what I am asking you to do is difficult, but do not worry. Just trust in me and throw desire into the fire of knowledge for it to be totally destroyed. People perform all sorts of yajna at great expense. No need for that. Just burn away your bad qualities, starting with desire. That is more than enough. Do it as an act of love for me. If you do, then be assured that I shall help you all the way to success. Of this, you can be sure.